Hello, it is 3rd of June 2018 and this is episode 69 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Today we have a very special guest back on the show, and that is our composer and all-round musical expert, Christy. Uh, yeah, so would you like to introduce yourself, Christy, to people who might not have listened to your previous episode with us? Of course. Um, super happy to be here on my favorite podcast in the entire world. My name is Christy. <laughs> uh, work in Hollywood as a composer <laughs> for film and music, um, TV, multimedia, everything. And uh, been a crazy Star Wars fan girl for 30 years. And... I love the sequel trilogy and I loved Solo. Yay. Awesome. So on the note of being a composer and loving Star Wars, I hear that you have a very exciting Star Wars project in the pipeline. Yes, I'm so excited. Probably everybody in the fandom knows about Looking for Leia, which is this amazing like six-part documentary series that's being made about women in the fandom and telling women's stories. Um, and yeah, I heard about it and I emailed the director wanting to help in any way. And turns out that they didn't have a composer and that's how I could help is by doing the music. So I've been working with Annalise, the director, and uh, we're developing themes together. And it's a really, really great experience. This is such a cool project. Congratulations, that's so amazing. Yeah, no, it's going to be fabulous. And you've also had other fantastic news about Sundance and a certain place you might be visiting, right? Yes, so um, I apply every year to the Sundance Institute Film Music Lab, which is a summer program that takes place over a two-week period up at Skywalker Ranch. And never in a million years thought that I would be selected, but I was for 2018. So in July, I will be heading up there. Um, You stay on the ranch and you work at Skywalker Sound and you're mentored by composers the first week and work with directors the second week. And it's a really incredible opportunity. And I'm so grateful to Sundance and BMI for this and really excited to go do that. That's so amazing. (laughs) I'm sat here with a big grin on my face because I'm just so excited (laughs) for you. What an amazing opportunity. It's going to my like second most holy place on earth, obviously. So uh, I can't, I'm just, I'm going to lose it. And apparently sometimes George is there, but you are not to speak to him. So (laughs) don't make eye contact. (laughs) Leave him alone. Let him, let him relax. So yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so cool to think that he's still present in a way, because I thought he might have like just completely distanced himself, but that's really nice that he's still around in some capacity. Yeah, it's been really cool to kind of read the news stories about him, you know, coming to the solo set and him talking to the guys and working, you know, bouncing ideas off of them. I really loved that he was there and he was there when Mark got his star on the Walk of Fame. And, you know, he's he's definitely like still involved. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys read about what it was that he suggested when he came to the solo set? No, I can't remember what it was. It was in when they were in Lando's closet. Uh, you know the kissy time oh, <laughs> with <Pat yes>. and, Kira. <laughs> and he like he puts that or she's trying to put the um cake back on the hanger and hang it up and he just takes it and like throws it on the floor before kissing her apparently yeah. George suggested that he do that and Ooh. oh it's so perfect I love it it's so Han <laughs> yeah I love the thought of George Lucas having an inner hand solo it's fabulous yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> just kiss the girl <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness um 
Right, so Christy is going to be here for certain to discuss the soundtrack of Solo and time permitting may be able to discuss some of the news items we have as well but because Christy is on a tight schedule and we don't want to keep her too long we are going to discuss the spotlight first followed by the news. Um, so yeah just first of all could you give a general overview of your feelings about Solo Christy? How did you respond to it? I really really loved it and I'm so sad that I've only seen it once. I thought by now I would have seen it at least two or three times, but again, it's just this trip I'm getting ready for and I, I, I just haven't had time to go do it. But I had the biggest, goofiest grin on my face the entire time, even during the very tense and scary parts, even during the sad parts. Um, I, I loved it so much, but I do disagree with this idea that it's like, oh, it's a fun popcorn light Star Wars flick. Like it's so different from the saga films. Like I, I don't feel that. Like I fundamentally don't feel that. Your guys' episode last week about the movie, I feel is proof that there's so much going on. There's all of these different layers and parallels and ties into the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy that you can take it on its surface and have it be this fun popcorn thing. Or you can look deeper into all the symbolism and how every frame is just so full of so many things going on. So for me, it wasn't just fun, popcorn, different type of Star Wars. I felt the same way about it you guys did, that there's so much more underneath the surface to think about and talk about and so many implications. And I just loved it from start to finish. Oh, that's fabulous. I'm so glad you enjoyed it so much. Yeah. There was no... Um, well, maybe there was one. Like in La The Last Jedi, the only scene still to this day, having seen the movie like 50 times, the only <laughs> scene that makes me go, okay, is the, you know, the Thala Siren milk squeezing and the, the relish <laughs> upon Luke's face. In this one, the only one that made me go, okay, was when we were in the club on uh, Dryden Voss's yacht and the um, the guy in the jar was like, duh, 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 duh. that was the only <laughs> part where I was like, okay, this is so campy Star Wars right now. This is like heat. <laughs> Um, okay, okay. That was the only moment that like slightly took me out of it, but everything else I was just 100% on board with. Yeah, no, like, I think we both really enjoyed it as well. And yeah, like, I think we mentioned it in the episode when we were discussing the movie. But I think when you really dwell on it, and you like dig deep, like all those layers do come out much more. And it feels like a much more rich experience than it might seem on the surface. So you found that Absolutely. as well, didn't you, Kirsty? Yeah, I think that's true of all Star Wars films, to be honest. You can take them at face value and just enjoy them for the action and the pew-pew and the romance and everything. But if you want to, you can dig a little deeper and that's what we like to do. But yeah, yeah, it, there's all of these different layers and you can enjoy it at whatever level you want to. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, on that note, on the subject of everything being really cool... Um, <laughs> like, what are your overall thoughts on the soundtrack? Because um, it's John Powell, right? Yep. And his first time doing Star Wars music. So I was certainly impressed by the soundtrack. I yeah, thought it was same. very cool. It's so amazing. I don't even know, like, when I was looking at it to start trying to write meta and start trying to organize my thoughts, I didn't know where to start because it's so dense and it's so 
incredibly complex and amazing. And like, I know, of course I know of Powell, like in the film music community, he's one of the best, he's one of the most respected, but I hadn't really ever dug deep into his music beyond how to train your dragon mm. and beyond like when you're in film scoring, school they you know the born identity movies are used as an example of like look at how creative this guy was because in that in though that series of films they were originally going to go a completely different route of like this very big dense action orchestral kind of music of the era of that was being used in all these type of films and the director decided he wanted to do something different but he didn't know what he wanted and powell mm. came through with this very textural percussive like um, interesting style of scoring that now is so imitated. It, I mean, that score is tempted on so many different things. So I knew I knew all these things about him, but I didn't understand until I really started digging into this score, like the level that he is at. He is yeah. this. This is maybe the best thing that he's ever written, and by far this year, there's I, it's going to be really hard for somebody to top this for me as the best score of the entire year. Oh wow. I'm oh, wow. so I'm just so impressed by him and I yeah he nailed it he and not that Giacchino didn't on Rogue One he absolutely did but he had such a compressed time frame to do that score because it was originally supposed to be a different composer mm. he did a great job and he has some really iconic new themes that are addition to like Star Wars music that Giacchino did but Powell had so much longer to work on it and so much longer to craft it and you know working hand in hand with John Williams that I think the end result is on a different level yeah like I read a rumor I'm not sure how reliable this is I think it was literally on a message board that John Williams himself wanted John Powell to yep. do solo because I read that he listened to the soundtrack to Rogue One and he felt that Michael Giacchino was kind of imitating his own style too much and he wanted someone who would have their own stamp on it more. I was wondering, had mm. you heard anything along those lines? Or? Um, I'd heard the first part, which um, I provided a link to the score podcast with um, John Powell. I'm sure you guys will post it when you post this. It's really worth a listen. And he does bring up the fact that William, John Williams was rooting for him to score it and probably had like a hand in that. I didn't know about the other part, but um, yeah. And that kind of segues into a quote from that podcast that I have here. So there was a direct quote from John Williams about how to spot a Star Wars film, which is when you sit down with the director and talk about where the music is supposed to come in and where it's supposed to stop. And he says, in Star Wars movies, when the film starts, the orchestra will play. And when the film ends, the orchestra will stop. Wall to wall music. And Powell says, you know, that's more than I'm used to. That's, you know, and he was in touch with John Williams the whole time. Mm. This is a direct quote. He said, at the beginning, he was being too reverent. He says, in the score, I really am trying to sort of pick up the lineage, pick up the arc of the piece, you know, the canon, and it became inhibiting. John Williams told him to embrace the fact that he is a different style and utilize it. And that became very freeing for him. He said that Williams is in the DNA of everything he writes, but of course, particularly here in this case. And he did feel the pressure from the fans and the fandom. He felt the responsibility of being the next person to, you know, pick up this baton. And it gave him sleepless nights and it gave him writer's block. Wow. And wow. it was only until John Williams really gave him his blessing and said, do what you do. Like, t obviously, there's going to be parts of the score where you're utilizing my themes and I wrote the new Han Solo themes and all of that stuff. But do your thing. And then 
the glorious part of that for me is especially in John Powell's orchestrational choices. He makes these startlingly unique and things that don't seem like they're going to make sense. But then in the context of the scene, they work so well and they're so fresh. And he absolutely followed through on that. I think that he does John Williams so much. He doesn't proud. He, he takes it and just goes with it. And this opens up kind of a new world of what people can bring to Star Wars music. And that's incredibly exciting with all the new content we have coming up. Yeah. So I think that's what I read with regards to Williams's feelings about the Rogue One soundtrack. I think he felt it was too reverential. So that would fit in. That's a great word because it's like he, Rikino is unbelievably amazingly talented but maybe like the too reverential part maybe that's the best way to describe it is that he felt maybe he felt like he needed to be in this certain lane and I think that there was there's a lot riding on Solo but there was also a lot riding on Rogue One the first separate saga film and it was on this compressed time frame and it was also a troubled production so yeah that probably might have added yeah I was gonna say it kind of makes more sense for that to be the case for the first standalone right where they're still trying to figure things out but now they really do have to start having their own identities these little films absolutely um, that distinguish them from the saga and I really feel like that's what they achieved here obviously you know much more about it than I do but I remember the first time I was watching the the movie I was paying much more attention to the soundtrack than I maybe did for The Last Jedi and Rogue One on first viewing Normally it takes me a few viewings to kind of start focusing on things like that. Um, but it was just so distinctive, like things like Emphis Nest's theme. And mm. um, yeah, there were just certain elements that really popped out. And I'm sure that that is part of having talked to me and being friends with me and me being like, listen for this. Next time you see it. <laughs> yeah, Pay attention that is true. And yeah, it's a it just, combination it... of that and a combination of his unique, amazing style and how he brings this, you know, crazy unexpected unconventional thing to it mm-hmm. yeah you just become more conscious of it and yeah 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 like I definitely felt that the music had more of an identity for this film like yep. independent of like the stuff that's gone before there were some very strong incorporations of like old themes like the yep. ast- asteroid belt music from Empire Strikes Back but yeah. like that's not really what stood out to me like what stood out to me was the new stuff and I think that's yeah. how it should be and even on the old stuff like the on the track reminiscence therapy which is like the first part of the Kessel run before the tentacle monster um that part where they use the asteroid filled music so I'm skipping ahead of myself right now but um let me go down here so something that's really cool about that part is um the music from a new hope where Han and uh, Luke are shooting down those TIE fighters when they're escaping, right? That's like, you know, here they come music. And then the asteroid field. Those things are happening at the same time, getting woven together in that scene with the chewy motif, with the gang motif, because they're flying and they're evading TIE fighters and they're evading asteroids simultaneously. Like mm. he he literally took his own themes and these two themes and put them together in this cue with this crazy percussion going on underneath, and it it's not a mashup. It's not confusing. It makes perfect sense. It flows perfectly. It's part of what makes that scene so incredibly exciting. Like you know they're going to be fine. You know the Falcon survives. You know Chewie, Han, and Lando are okay. <laughs> like it's you're not sitting there 
thinking that they're not going to get out of this, but still that scene is so effective and the way that the um, coaxium kicks in at the last minute, like I think that that whole sequence is brilliant from start to finish and what he did with the music was so creative and so masterful. Mm. Yeah, there's a really nice balance between old and new, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so hard to do. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, sorry, I kind of um, took you off course there, Christy, by getting no. you to jump ahead. Um, but yeah, like to go in a more logical order, could you perhaps talk to us a little about Hans' theme? Yeah, I really love this theme. It's very classic Star Wars. It's very classic John Williams. Um, and once again, it is split into two little motifs. Hmm. Who else do we know that has two motifs that uh, <laughs> come, that separate two different parts of his journey and his arc? Okay. Mm. Um, so there's the kind of adventure slash young man theme. And then there's what um, Layman calls the searching slash young man theme, which is the... So... Something that's interesting about both of these is in the young, the adventure theme, there's an A section and a B section of this melody. And the A section ends with an ascending major sixth. This is a very important Star Wars interval. It's the same interval that Princess Leia's theme starts with and that the Han and Leia love theme starts with. Ooh. That's a nice little connection. Yeah. Then the searching one, da, 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 that's a descending minor second. Da, 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 da. that's kylo's conflict theme that those intervals mm. link it too wow no wow. nobody can tell me that this is not on purpose <laughs> nobody <laughs> no one can tell me that there was no reason for solo to be released between episode eight and episode nine and that there are not specific reasons for us to be learning this stuff about han and for us to get these musical themes that have the dna of kylo's theme in it Wow. Yeah. Especially when you have lines like, you have too much of your father's heart in you, right? They're yes. like deliberately connecting the stories. And the dice all over the place and the parallels between Han and Rey and the parallels between Kira and Kylo. I'm just, I'm done with people saying that it's not all connected and that Lucasfilm is just like willy-nilly. They're not. They're not. They're doing everything on purpose and everybody is involved in it. I don't know if I imagine this, but um, I was listening to Hans Fien the other night and was there like a little horn section? It kind of reminded me of Kylo's music there as well. It was like yeah. a little a little a flare. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just struck me. It sounded like that same kind of music. It's like there are all these different little signatures of John Williams' Star Wars music in all of the new themes. Um you hear little bits of it, but especially in these ones that he wrote. And mm -hmm. I think that it's so cool that they brought him in to do this. And another reason why I think it's super important to pay attention to the similarities between the, the classic original trilogy themes and the sequel trilogy themes. Mm. Right. Did you notice any Ray at all coming through in Han's theme? I just make that point because when Kirstie and I were discussing the film, we like did consider a lot how like Han's story and the place he finds himself in in Solo in terms of like having to go back to this place that he was wrenched from like prematurely like because he wants to return to his loved ones there's yeah, like all these echoes yeah. of Rey there did you find any like resonance there's a little rhythmic similarity but um ultimately I didn't hear too much that reminded me strongly of Rey's theme Rey's theme is so 
I mean, it's probably, I think a lot of people would agree that it's the, the best and most iconic and most beautiful and unique um, theme to come out of the sequel trilogy so far. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in terms of intervals and stuff, not so much yet, but I'm still looking at that. I actually am doing a really big deep dive into Ray's theme right now um, and how it could possibly, the setup of it and the structure of it and its development could parallel like the classic heroine's journey. Oh, cool. This was a, a seed that was planted in um, my head by another um, Marie Claire who runs the What the Force podcast. That was an idea that she had with um, Wit and Folly YouTube channel. So that's something I've been thinking about. So I've been doing a deeper dive on Ray's theme and I'll follow up with you guys if I find some more similarities between Ray's theme and Han's theme. Yeah, awesome. And also Han's theme is the one that John Williams wrote, right? Yeah, he, these, these two uh, motifs of the adventure and the searching, these are the, the new themes for Han that, that John Williams wrote. And yeah. then everything else, um, except for the, the callbacks from the other movies, is all Powell. Mm. Yeah. I was um, wondering if you could talk a bit about the love theme. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. Mm. That's really nice. Oh, it's like 1930s, 1940s, the Max Steiner, Korngold, like all of these golden age scoring, film scoring composers that John Williams himself was inspired by. And it also, um, the famous Puccini aria, Nessun Dorma, Um, it gives me vibes back to that. It is so lush and so gorgeous. And in the the cue Lando's closet from the film, there's a, another really cool moment where right before the theme comes in, you hear another major sixth, another beautiful motif. I think it's on the flute of, it sounds like the beginning of Princess Leia's theme. It sounds like it's about to go right into her theme and then it goes into this love theme instead. That, mm. I'm not sure if that's 100% intentional, but it could be like foreshadowing the great love of his life before this love theme for um, the first love of his life that could be something yeah no I like so I found all the stuff with Kira and Han so interesting and I definitely yeah. think the music heightened that like would you say there's like a tragic element to like the love theme for them because obviously yeah. it ends on like this very like poignant sad note like with their separation yeah and there's a, there's a sub-theme that um, Lehman has, has subtitled Secrets, which is another little minor second thing that um, comes in and out of the theme. And even before it develops into its second biggest statement in that cue in particular, there's like this little, like this sad, wistful, like it's built into it that you know it's not going to end great. Mm. But I have to say that I love, this is not necessarily music related, I love how some expectations going into this were, oh, she's going to betray him. Oh, he's going to have to kill her or she's going to try mm. to kill him or she's going to be this awful person. Like I, like you guys said last week, I loved it that it didn't go that way and that she stayed, even though she was in this impossible situation, like she did everything possible to try to protect him and to try to yeah. keep him off the radar of these terrible people she works for. And it ended with that shot of him looking up and her looking down like, oh my gosh, what else ends that way? Just reversed. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think it ended up being a lot more nuanced and bittersweet than people anticipated, which is great. Yeah, yeah. and that's, yeah. Ki that's kind of the tie-in to Nessun Dorma too. Like that's a, also a very bittersweet, the, the words that are being sung in the context of that, that that aria is used in. Like, yeah, it absolutely has this very just like, oh, it wants to break my heart just how beautiful it is, but yet you know that it's not going to work out. And oh, it's, the, it's painful in the best way.
Yeah. Like, nothing annoys me more with Solo than seeing people, like, say, oh, at the end, when Kira betrays Han, you know, <laughs> like, as if she were just doing, like, it in a calculating way. It's like, that yeah. is such a gross misunderstanding of that character and that element of the story. Yeah, I mean, she breaks his heart, but her heart's breaking too. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, people really oversimplify these stories sometimes. Yeah. I think it's interesting that I hadn't picked it out, but you're saying that you can hear an element of Leia's theme in there, or at least like the same kind of quality. I feel like that's a that's a really interesting choice because when you're watching the the movie, it's kind of impossible not to contextualize this love story in terms of Han's overall romantic life that we, we yeah, know he's yeah. going to meet this this other person later. Yep. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, when you go back and listen to that cue, check it out. Like right before the theme comes in, you hear da da. You hear the little thing that is so reminiscent of, like it. You feel like Leia's theme is just going to suddenly blossom, and then it's like a little motif that fades away, and then the full beautiful Han and Kira love theme comes in, and it's just oh. And there's even some stuff built into the chord changes that is vaguely reminiscent. So I'm also still kind of digging into that, but. It's all Star Wars musical DNA. Mm. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, right, and now we get to a theme that I know we all are very taken by. Um, could we talk about Enfys Nest's theme? Yes. that um, I wrote like a little mini meta about it. Um, that as soon as I heard that sound... And I remember I was trying not to watch any clips before I went to see the movie. But of course, I couldn't help myself. And I watched (laughs) the clip that they released of like their standoff. And Mm. hearing that sound, I mean, those the sound of those Bulgarian women's choirs is unmistakable. So um, I also linked you guys to a John Burlingame article about Powell and the solo score. So he did go to Sofia, Bulgaria and record a 36 voice women's choir. Um, And we learned when you're in music history 101, when you're a music major in college, you learn about them because it's such an extraordinary way of singing. Mm. And the thing that really caught me about this is that this style of singing is only in this one place. It cannot be taught if the physical traits, I'm quoting from um, the conductor of one of the most famous choirs of this nature, if the physical traits, the unique musculature of the larynx is not there. It's ancient sound memory that the grandmothers and great grandmothers sang that way and pass it down through like oral tradition in this culture from mother to daughter. So that's like, you know, the helmet being passed from Mm. mother to daughter in this, like Enfys Nest, is that a title? Is that a a thing that can be passed down and stepped into it? The armor, the helmet, the name, everything. I thought that was incredible. they, They ask her, what would you use the coaxium for? And she says, the same thing my mother would have used it for if she had survived and still wore the mask. Yeah. Like how cle- how clever is that to link? Not only does this sound, you know, conjure up exotic, otherworldly, alien type, you know, mysterious that you want to associate with these characters with Emphis Nest and the Cloud Riders. There's not only that element of it. Like that would be cool in and of itself. But then the fact that there's this history behind it and it links to this thing that that Emphis says about her mother. Like he's he's so clever. Yeah. That's really awesome. I had no idea about that, but that really adds a lot. Yeah. I really hope we get a story about Emphis Nest's mom. 
And I, obviously oh, yeah. we don't know the details of like when she passed and like how old Emphis was at that point. Or or if like you say, it's a title and her mother was Emphis Nest and she has another birth name as well. Mm. I just, I need to know more about that character around her family. Me too, me too. And when, yeah, she, right. when she took that mask off, like that actress... I know you had seen her before. Um, Kirsty, had you seen her before? Or Yeah, in a very different role when she's like <laughs> full on playing a, a teenage girl in, in modern day England. <laughs> so it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she, when she's she, very when she distinctive. Took that, that, that look that she was giving too, like not her, a very distinctive beauty was one thing, but then also the look that she was giving, like it was this so complicated look. It's like on the level of the look that Mark Hamill gives Daisy at the end of The Force Awakens that spoke like pages of dialogue without saying anything, you know? Mm. Like that look was so, I had chills all over my entire body, like it's so effective. Everything about that was so effective. Yeah. I do find Solo absolutely fabulous for world building. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I, like I, I don't mean to sound like I'm ragging on Rogue One all the time when I say this, but I came out of Rogue One and like I liked it, but I wasn't interested in learning anything else about those characters. I didn't feel compelled to go out and read all the various tie-in books. But with Solo, I really have. Like I've now finished um, Most Wanted, which is about Kira and Han, like when they're a bit younger, before the start of the film. Oh, I'd really yeah. recommend it, Christy, if you haven't like got it yet because it's a really good little book and you learn so much more about the characters especially Kira I'd say it's really Kira's book which I really liked and it's written by Ray Carson who I think does a great job of getting into Kira's head and yeah I would so love like any material on Enfys Nest because she's such an intriguing character and Mm -hmm. she's very powerfully portrayed like by the actress and also by the music that accompanies her yeah it was just so so smart and so effective and so clever. I loved that part. Yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, right. Yeah, could we go on to Chewie and his music and what was going on with that? Yeah, it's so precious. Like, um, it's such a happy, fun theme, adventure, positive. You know, it's it's just. At first, I thought that this theme was going to be like strictly about Chewie, but I I I do think it's more about the purity and just like preciousness of this friendship and devotion between them and that's why it's so happy it's almost like childlike in a way um and i think that it's just representing this bond between them that is i mean i loved everything about it like i was at the at the um first screening with one of my tumblr friends who i she was also at the IMAX Collider screening and she also asked Ryan a question. She asked him the question about the mirror cave that was like really interesting and nuanced. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, and oh, yeah, when I do. Each, yeah. yeah, when each of us heard the other asking the question, we were like, oh, that girl's a Raylo. Like she's for sure a Raylo. <laughs> need to go talk to her. But we never ended up linking up at the um, screening. But then when we posted our pers- our respective accounts of the night she recognized me and I recognized her and we actually like met offline and went to Star Wars night together and now we go to all the movies together and uh, yeah she was sitting right next to me and when we realized like that the beast was chewy and that that's what they were going to do with it. And then when Chewie started kicking Han's ass, I mean, we were bouncing in our seats, holding hands, <laughs> squealing, just loving everything about Chewie in this movie. Like I, people say, oh, um, Donald steals the movie. No, Alden steals the movie. No. Um, how do you say his name? Eunice? 
Yeah. Eunice steals the movie. Chewie steals the movie. It's it's so great. And I really loved this theme and especially um, the moment when Chewie finally gets in the seat and Alden just nails this like Han Harrison Ford smirk at him and the Star Wars main theme plays. It's just like, I mean, after moment after moment of just awesomeness, that was like a, a really special one for me as well. It's I, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie as well. Their friendship is just so pure. Like it's always been yeah. pure. I've always loved that in in the OT as well. But yeah. just yeah, seeing the the way that they met and came together and how Chewie could have gone off like they you know they they said there's that scene where he says like oh you you just need to do this one thing and then you're free and you can go off and live your life but you know that they're gonna stick together forever. Yeah, it was so special and so wonderful. I love it. Yeah, it's really cool. Is that the first time Chewie's ever got a theme? Yes, it is. Yeah. I wonder if we'll hear any of these like new themes to the characters returned at all in episode 9. I think that'd be amazing, but I don't know if it will... Because um, like, bringing John Williams themes into someone else's score is one thing, but then taking Powell's and putting it into a John Williams score, like I probably... I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe JJ yeah. would want that to happen. Um, I know that JJ is a much more involved director when it comes to the music like what we mm. talked about last time how ryan was just like bro do it like i'll see it when you're done <laughs> jj is more he has his it's not like he's telling him what to do but he definitely has more of his hands in the in the process interesting yeah. do you think that maybe because nine's going to be williams's last star wars movie um do you think it would be less likely that they would incorporate things like this yeah probably um yeah, and I don't think he'll write his own version of Chewie's theme, but I'm, this is off topic, but I'm hoping that he will write a theme for Finn. I'm hoping that yeah, we me will, too. you know, see some, now that they have written new themes for some of the older characters, I'm hoping that we will get like a really badass Finn theme in the next one. Yeah, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like that could be really powerful for now he's found his like, sense of identity, right? That he's not affiliated with the First Order. He's chosen the resistance, but that was a conscious choice. And now he's kind of coming into himself more. So I feel like Absolutely. it might be the right time for a theme. Yep, I agree. Definitely. Um, yeah, was, like, yeah, so with fun callbacks, we've covered the Kessel Run, but there's some other stuff in here as well, isn't there, that you're probably going to want to talk about? So one of the cool things that I really liked the most in terms of callbacks um, during the train heist, when those droids, they look like the Imperial probe droids from uh, Empire Strikes Back. The droids come in to start shooting at them and you hear this little Imperial motif. Kind of reminiscent of Tchaikovsky. Um, and it's really cool that it happens there, like in the midst of this really epic driving, like da -da 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 crazy action music. And I absolutely loved that. Um, I also really loved in the beginning of the Kessel Run when the lightning kind of illuminates the Star Destroyer coming through. If you hear da 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 da, like the Death Star motif, like it's yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, so those those were some of my most favorite little callback things there, and uh, a couple other things I really loved. One of my favorite parts of the score that's kind of. Uh, in the beginning of the train heist before things really get going when they're all sitting around the fire and they're kind of talking about life and love and all these different things. I feel like the music there is so rich and so emotional and it's part of the reason why we all bonded so much with these characters and why it was so much harder to see them go 
Val mm. and Rio, as opposed to Rogue One when all of these characters are getting picked off one by one. And I know, I think you guys probably maybe had the same thing, but I wasn't like that emotionally invested in it. Um, I think that the music in this scene and the way this scene is structured is a large part of that for me, about why I, I felt so connected to them and why it worked so well. Yeah. Um, and then my only other note is that the chicken in the pot scene from the from the club on the, on the the yacht the space yacht. I'm just mad that they took away the guy the the guy in the jar's deep voice on the soundtrack album and replaced it with like the higher pitched woman's voice. Yeah. Cuz I I want to listen to that scene over and over again. I love that that creepy deep voice. It took me out of it at first, but now I want to listen to it all the time because that that track is so cool and dissonant and amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the only other thing that I'm like, why'd you do that? I love talking to you guys. I wish I could stay and talk all day. Thank you so much for having me. And I really look forward to listening to this episode and hearing your take on all the news. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, we really appreciate you giving your time. And yeah, it was fabulous to have you. And we look forward to having you back. Hopefully soon. I love it. For for me, it's not giving my time. For me, it's like getting to do my favorite thing in the world and talk to you guys about Star Wars. Oh, that's really um, lovely. Thank you. I can't wait to come back. Oh, thank you. Okay, so now we've sadly had to say goodbye to Christy. Um, We can go into our news section. So the first thing we want to talk about is how Solo has fallen short of expectations at the box office. Like everyone and their mother is talking about this. So it's not a particularly fun subject to talk about because who wants to talk about failure? Um, (laughs) Like Luke Skywalker (laughs) does. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I think it's worth discussing, especially because we can add our own angle on it. And we definitely have feelings about... um, been said on this topic i won't read out the whole article i have but basically solo it only came in with 103 million domestically and 65 million overseas in its first four-day weekend and that is not good at all um that's considerably less for example than what the last jedi made in its three-day opening weekend just domestically and because Solo was quite an expensive film, especially because of the reshoots, they basically had to make the movie twice, it means it's probably going to end up losing money for Lucasfilm. So it's not a good look, and it's really the first Star Wars movie in this situation. Because you've had Star Wars movies in the past that have been less profitable than others, but they have always made money. And it looks like that might not happen here, which is sad, to be honest, because Solo is a pretty good movie. Um, And yeah, so just to cut to the chase, we have some interesting quotes from Disney distribution chief Dave Hollis. So he says, there's a question of frequency and how many times people will go to the movies. Is this too much and too soon for a third time in a five week period? And basically with that, Hollis was highlighting the fact that Solo came out is the third film in a series of big blockbuster films of geek appeal. So Avengers Infinity War, Deadpool 2, and then Solo. So it's like the last of a run of those. And yeah, essentially there's comments about they need to try and analyse what happened to get to the root of why the film underperformed relative to expectations. But yeah, with all of that like introductory stuff out of the way, like how do you feel 
about this situation, Kirsty. I'm sure you've seen ripples from it on Twitter and other sites. So what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I don't really know how to feel, to be honest, because it doesn't affect my personal enjoyment of the film. I've seen it three, t- three times now, and I still really enjoy it. Um, I stand by a lot of what we said in our show last week. But um, I also want to take back my comments about the cinematography, actually, because um, I found myself enjoying it more on second and third viewing. Um, and I read okay. an article from IndieWire about how certain cinemas have been messing up the projection. I, I don't know the details because right. I'm not an expert on that kind of thing, but apparently it's affecting the colour. So I said I found it too dark, and apparently that might be why. Did you find the image a bit brighter when you saw the yes. movie again? Yeah, the colours just popped oh, a lot okay. more. Um, Good. And and also I found myself enjoying things like the action sequences, like the train heist. I could just follow it more on repeat viewings, right? Like That's just how it goes, so have to keep that in mind when I'm like giving my first reactions on things that it takes me a while to process things that other people might be that might be their like primary way of enjoying a movie like they that's what they focus on for me it's just the characters and stuff first um yeah of course but yeah regarding box office I don't really know this isn't something I usually look at when I'm enjoying movies and I'm going and I don't think oh well that that movie's made a lot of money so I'm probably going to enjoy it I'll go and see it that's just not I yeah. just go and see what what interests me. Um, so if I wasn't like an active person within the fandom, it just wouldn't really cross my mind. And I guess it's because we knew that they'd made these bold predictions for how much money it was going to make and then it hasn't met them, that it's disappointing. Um, yeah. But it doesn't matter to me on a personal level. I just I'm just curious to see if it will affect any changes in the future, uh, like whether we would get a ton of sequels for this movie but then like I saw a list the other day of Marvel movies like um I think it was the second Thor movie or maybe the first one and then one of the Iron Man sequels they didn't make that much money when they came out the Ant-Man movie didn't make that much money when it came out but we're getting a sequel to that so who knows yeah yeah I think it's all about the budget basically relative to how the film performs at the box yeah and that was always going to be the case right they have to shoot most of a movie over again. They've spent a lot, an awful lot of money doing that. So, yeah, exactly. So I think that's really the consideration. So I think if things are budgeted sensibly and they don't cost too much, then it's fine for like a film to not get so much money in, like at the cinema. So I think Ant Man, its opening weekend was only something like fifty million. So obviously considerably lower than even Solo, for example. But I think it was fine and it made a profit because it ended up having good legs and it ended up um, doing quite well internationally. So I think it made about $500 million million overall at the worldwide box office. And I'd say at the current pace Solo is going at, it probably won't get that far north of $300 to be honest, worldwide. Which is pretty rough. (laughs) Yeah, like I kind of feel torn about it because I'm very much like you, Kirsty, in that the financial performance of the movie, that has absolutely no bearing on my opinion of the movie. You know, like I don't look at Solo and think, oh, this film did perform well financially, therefore it's not very good. You know, that's absolutely not how I'm thinking. I guess it's just interesting to me because we know ultimately that Disney, who owned Lucasfilm, who produced Solo, they are ultimately going to be most interested in the bottom line and how much money these movies make. So I think there will absolutely be consequences from this. Um, it's just a question of figuring out what they are. 
you know there's already been talk about them spacing out the releases more so basically holding back from the possibility of doing two two movie releases each year and sticking to like one maximum at least for the time being and i personally feel that that's a smart move because i was talking to someone today who said that they just feel like there's way too much Star Wars right now and they feel like there wasn't enough build up to really make solo an event because it only came out 5 months after the last jedi and i understand that because to be honest i'm really still in my like last jedi frame of mind like i'm not like before solo came out i was still mostly thinking about the last jedi not at all about solo and i think that's just because the time period to build up that anticipation and excitement about that film it just wasn't there yeah i mean when they pushed back the release date for episode eight because we were originally going to get that in may last year they probably should have pushed Mm. back solo too (laughs) so i remember thinking well that means we're only going to get them five months apart whereas the original release dates they had it was going to be a year and a half wait from the force awakens right instead of two years um so i feel like they should have pushed back the next one because like you say, it just hasn't quite been enough time to properly start anticipating um, either that or maybe consider marketing Solo before The Last Jedi comes out, like attach a trailer to that movie, but then that yeah. could have been affected by all the production issues. So, Yeah, and I also think it's a mistake putting out in like summer rather than Christmas because I came to really like that Christmas slot for a Star Wars movie. It made it feel so special, and to me, it was part of the whole like festive experience. Because it's like, oh my god, I'm getting a new Star Wars movie. That is absolutely going to be the best Christmas present I get. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you felt like that, but it was just an awesome feeling. And yeah, in summer, it's also crowded, and there's all these movies coming out, and it just doesn't have that special feeling. So it just felt more like, yeah, it's there, and I'll see it, but I'm not like super hyped. Yeah, exactly. Um. For me personally, I really enjoyed it at Christmas too, but I know that maybe this tends to be older fans who associate May more with Star Wars. Um, That was something that appealed to them. So, you know, people like different things. (laughs) It it, it wasn't a deciding factor for me. It was just like, oh yeah, I I like Christmas because it's, you can go and see it more and you can go with friends and family. Like people just tend to be around people there. So, Yeah, I I definitely think that they were trying to reclaim that May slot for Star Wars because that's when the, the original Star Wars came out. And I think all the subsequent movies under Lucas came out in May, although I may well be wrong on that, don't quote me. <laughs> um, so I think it was like a conscious like nod to nostalgia and the associations for that day. But yeah, I just don't think it paid off. So sad, but I'm sure they're going to avoid that slot like the plague going forward. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, um, we don't have another movie announced until, until episode nine, right? So it'll be interesting to see what, what they do with the next announcement. Um, mm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would depend what else comes out around that May if they did another May release date. Because like you say, Infinity War seemed to be the big one for everyone. So that was the focus. Yeah. yeah. I think that was basically like a black hole like sucking in everyone's attention and interest and then there wasn't that much left for everything mm. else i mean even for us the star wars fans we were focused more on like the last jedi blu-ray all of the extras with that the novelization like there's been so much there have been announcements for the the new tv show coming in the fall as well and 
we've been reading a lot of the books. So even like fans who pay more attention to that kind of thing, Solo, Solo wasn't like the only thing that we had to think about. Whereas for something like The Last Jedi, it really was building up everything to that. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think for me, the worst thing about Solo underperforming is just the impact it's had on the fandom. Yeah. It's making people because... who boycotted it feel like they had a real effect. <laughs> and I can't stand that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's so much, like, smugness going around at the moment. And, yeah, basically it's making what really was a fringe movement feel like it's really significant and really like a decisive factor and I'm not eliminating the possibility that there was some effect I do think it probably had an impact you know like the Pat Clash of the Last Jedi and people saying they were done with Star Wars I'm sure that that did prevent some people paying money to go and see it like I won't deny that but I think it's foolish to believe that that is the decisive factor in such a sharp sharp plunge in box office takings I really think it's just this perfect storm of factors. And yeah, it's impossible to blame it on any one thing. Yeah, there's an awful lot of the debate and discourse going on in fandom right now. And I don't know, a lot of it is just kind of ridiculous, overblown rhetoric about how Kathleen Kennedy should resign and how she's obviously <sighs> incapable of doing her job. And I just, I don't understand how people can be making those kind of claims as if it's reasonable. Yeah, it's the actual worst. <laughs> it's just very strange. It's like um, not every Marvel film has been a huge success, but do people really call for... I don't know how to say his name. Is it Kevin? Kevin Feige. Yeah. Do people call for his resignation every time there's a movie that doesn't make as much money as Infinity War? Like, it's just not going to happen every time if you get a movie every year. And... Yeah. Uh, it just... it. I, and I, I really hate how gendered... It is as well, because there seems to be this expectation in certain courses that Kathleen Kennedy should have this like nurturing maternal role over the fandom and that she needs to like sit the like metaphorical fandom child down, like look at its bruised knee and say, There, there, don't worry and like dab a little ointment on it and like give them a kiss and like send them on their way to play. <laughs> I'm making this like metaphor much more elaborate than it needs to be but basically some people really do think that like Kathleen Kennedy is responsible for the horrible misbehaviour and like gross like attitudes that you see among Star Wars fandom or at least certain quarters of Star Wars fandom right now and it's like I'm sorry but the people like behaving like just crowing about this film's like failure and like hating constantly on Disney Star Wars and acting like it's the devil's own creation. Like these people are adults. They have responsibility over their own actions. They have responsibility for what they say and how they say it. And when they're flinging around insults and just acting like spoiled children, that is on them. That is not on Kathleen Kennedy. And it just makes me so angry that like the blame is put on her yeah. somehow. It's just nonsense. I think people really need to take a step back and just kind of look at their behavior and how it is so incredibly out of proportion to what we're actually talking about. We're talking about a movie. And I just, yeah. I mean, yeah, like some of the people responding to me on Twitter about all of this have been like, well, they should have made a good movie that everyone wanted to go and see. The hardcore fans didn't like it. And I'm like, 
you can say whatever you like about whether people don't like a movie or not. It is no excuse for harassing someone else online. Like there's there's no justification for that. Sorry. <laughs> To, to say yeah. it's because Kathleen Kennedy didn't do a good enough job and then that's why people are just talking to each other the way they are, it's like, no, sorry. I, yeah. it, I just don't understand how anyone can think that this kind of thing is appropriate. Yeah, Like, I'm sorry, if you didn't get a Star Wars movie that you loved, that's really no excuse for the kind of misogynistic, racist, homophobic rhetoric you see a lot with some segments of the fandom. It's just not yeah. excusable. Yeah. And just the intensity of the anger. Right. Like that you see. Like, aside from like any like racism, homophobia, misogyny, like there obviously is that. But like in courses even where that isn't present. Just like the sheer level of like vitriol and resentment towards and anger at these films. You know, it's literally like they spat on these people. You yeah. know, the rage that certain people seem to feel towards them. And it's just kind of like, I think you need to accept that these movies, they're just not for you. You know, why can't you just be at peace with that? I just think there is just more. this real... I mean, we've talked about it before. We saw it coming before The Last Jedi came out because of our reading of The Force Awakens, that it was storytelling primarily told through the feminine gaze with a female protagonist with this certain kind of antagonist that she was going to have this connection with. And I don't know how that's... I, I guess it's because people perceive The Last Jedi as having an effect on Solo's box office. It's like, well, that film sucked, so that's why people don't want to go and see this one. Yeah. Um, but it's all just been building to this. Like, we just knew that there was going to be this... I mean, there's always been factions of Star Wars fandom. It's not like this is this new thing. Yeah, sure. But I, I guess every generation has its... Like, there was the prequels and original trilogy divide. And now this is the sequel trilogy one. It's the, this realisation that it wasn't just going to be the continuation of Luke Skywalker and his perfect daughter Rey being reunited and following on that legacy. Yeah. It's it's a deconstruction of the Skywalker legacy as a curse on this generation. Kylo Ren yeah. is this generation Skywalker and it's not a good thing. Yeah. It's, Screwed him up. It's ruined his life. Obviously, yeah. through partly his own choices too. It's not about like blame, but it's like that's the text of the story that the legacy is in this generation is a burden, and he was targeted. Mm. And Ray is free from all that and can make her own choices. Like, and it, I don't want to draw too many connections with like what the story is and then what the fan base is doing, but it is kind of this like, oh, it's not for us anymore, and we have to make our peace with that, and it's for this generation. Mm. Yeah. And it's just really hard for some people to let go because, you know, I, I've seen these tweets from other podcasts out there, these ones who were, like, known in the fan base for being quite possessive over the franchise. It's like, we kept it going. We we held the torch and passed it down through the generations. It's like, you didn't do anything. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you can enjoy the story like we enjoy the story, but you do not own it. Yeah. And I think there's this mistaken belief among certain quarters of fandom that Star Wars is meant to be a certain way and it's meant to be enjoyed in a certain way. And I think it's very unsettling to people who can let go of that, that there are new people coming into this and they are accepting these stories that are different and they are looking at them in a different way and interacting with them in different ways from they ever like from how they ever would. 
Like, I think the sheer, like, blow-up of, like, female engagement in Star Wars fandom. I think a lot of, like, older fans probably just don't even get that. Like, I've seen, like, people still, like, say, like, oh, yeah, almost all, like, Star Wars fans are men. And someone had to point out to them, actually, there are many, many female Star Wars fans. They just don't tend to hang out in the same places that you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, gee, I can't think why. <laughs> oh, goodness. We... I saw some people say that if Kathleen Kennedy takes the stage at Star Wars Celebration in 2019, she'll get booed. Well, so this is and... what I was worried about with Celebration after The Last Jedi. And then mm. they decided to postpone it. And I was like, that's the right choice. Like, this was yes. even before the movie came out, we were being warned left and right that it was going to be different. Like, they were yes. trying to prepare the fan base, and even with that, they weren't prepared. Um, no. And yeah, no. like, I was thinking if they have a convention this year, there might be actual fights between people because yeah. of the way you see people interacting online. Like, something could happen. Like, if you have someone at a panel talking about how much they love The Last Jedi and how much they love Rey and Kylo's dynamic or how much they love what happened with Luke and there's someone out there who absolutely hates what happened with Luke. Yeah. What's what's going to go on there? Like, Yeah. Seriously, like, I think we both intend on going to Celebration next year. It will be very, very interesting. Yeah. To put it mildly. And seriously, if we're in a panel where Kathleen Kennedy takes the stage and people stop booting... I will start cheering for her, honestly. Like, I don't care if people give me dirty looks or stop booing me too. Like, sod them. Like, I'm going to show yeah, support. And, you know, yeah, the thing is, it's not like we're blindly Kathleen Kennedy stands. We recognise no. that there are improvements to be made, especially with regards to representation. Yeah. Like, you know, we're still waiting on a female director or writer for a Star Wars movie. But that's not what these people are saying. It's that it's gone too far that way. Or... Yeah. Or that she's ruining it somehow because the stories don't speak to them primarily. And it's like, well, Star Wars is a coming-of-age story for children and teenagers. I'm sorry it doesn't make you feel the way it did when you were watching the original trilogy as a child. But you're never going to get that back. Yeah. Like, this is... Exactly. It's really quite sad. It's. I mean, we were talking before about how Luke's arc in The Last Jedi is kind of meta for a commentary on some fans at that age because it really is and Mark Hamill was kind of going for it in the director in The Jedi um, the, the extra features where it's like having to come to terms with the fact that he's not the lead anymore it's not his story yeah it's kind of what's happening with these fans too yeah and I think with Kathleen Kennedy because people are so intent on tearing her down and like obsessing over what she did wrong in air quotes, they forget how much she has achieved. Like, her Star Wars movies, they've made over a billion dollars so far. A billion. Like, she made three Star Wars movies in a row, and they all grossed over a billion dollars. I don't think Kevin Feige has ever achieved that. So she's done more than the head of Marvel, in that sense alone. And she also oversaw the resurrection of what was a dead franchise, essentially. And she realigned things in such a way that it was fresh and exciting and intriguing to this whole new audience that probably wasn't engaged with Star Wars at all before. And I think that's wonderful. And yeah, like I know that she's not perfect. No human is perfect. And there are things to improve on. But I think like in any reasonable situation, people just accept that and be like, yeah, so there might have been some missteps, things that could have been done differently. But for the most part, she's been damn successful at this. And yeah, keep on going, Kathy. 
Yeah, you know? So bleh. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I probably have to step away from social media for a while, but it's not like these people are gonna go away. Like this has been happening I mean it happened with The Force Awakens, it happened with The Last Jedi, it's happening with Solo, it's like maybe you just don't like Star Wars anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Boy, that was quite the discussion about that. It's but. yeah, there's a there's just so much there and we can talk about it forever and kind of drown in the negativity, but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I think for our own sanity we probably need to move on. <laughs> oh my god. Right. So the next thing to talk about is that a Boba Fett film is being considered according to the Hollywood reporter. And I'll read a little bit. James Mangold is writing and will direct a Star Wars standalone movie centred on Boba Fett, the feared bounty hunter and fan favourite character the Hollywood Reporter has exclusively learned. Yep, so that's basically the key thing we need to know in this situation. James Mangold's writing and will direct a Boba Fett movie. Kirsty, your thoughts? Um, I... <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I... I don't know what my thoughts are because I'm like, okay, I didn't, I wasn't like super excited about the premise of a solo movie, but I enjoyed that one. And I'm not super excited about the premise of a Boba Fett movie, but I'm also open to be pleasantly surprised. Um, And I love Logan. And if this is kind of them consciously choosing Mangold because it's going to be in the vein of like older washed up Boba Fett, I'm kind of into that idea. Like, they could yeah. deconstruct that character in a pretty interesting way because he really took on a life of his own in the fandom, but there's not... Well, I'm sure there's, like, comic books and mo- and um, books and everything that Boba appears... Well, maybe that stuff's Legends now, I don't know. Someone will probably write in and correct me. But um, I feel like there's a blank canvas there that they could do a lot of interesting things with, with the right writer and director... Um, yeah. I know Boba Fett gets a lot of flack because he's kind of associated with the do-bro side of Star Wars. That are like, yeah, Boba Fett's my favourite character. Um, and, you know, you can say, like, oh, it's mostly because of the armour and the, he, he's just, like, this mysterious character who doesn't have a lot there right now, but people kind of project whatever they want onto him. But I, I'm interested to see how that could go because they could really make this character interesting and make me a fan of Boba Fett um, or it could go the wrong way and people get very angry because it's not the Boba Fett they understood him to be because yeah. everyone is going to have their own idea of him if they're a fan of that character because there's not that much there in canon if you see what I mean Yeah, it, it's no. like if they did a, a Star Wars story about Hux because everyone <laughs> has their head canons about Hux because he's such a minor character you can do whatever you want with him in your head <laughs> yes. so <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, there's just these yes, minor background do. characters that people really get attached to, but they have their own version of Boba Fett in their head. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about Huck's Star Wars story now. <laughs> but it could happen. I'd watch it. Donald's great. <laughs> yes. What would the premise even be? I don't know. <laughs> like, um, Huck's big day. Hux has to deliver the big, like, end of season report to Supreme Leader Snoke. Oh, it's and it's series of mishaps. No, it's Kylo Ren is a. F- <laughs> in the words of Donal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Boba Fett movie. I think you put all of that very eloquently, Kirsty. Um, like 
I, I won't like dwell on it because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Like it's not a film I've ever been like super hyped for. But the fact that James Mangold is involved, that makes me hopeful because like you, Kirsty, I loved Logan. That was a really, really great film. And I've never been like a huge like, oh, Wolverine fan. So the fact that he was able to take that character and make him so incredibly compelling and nuanced and rich, that bodes well for what he could do with a Boba Fett movie um, because he's clearly a highly talented dude. Um, I think the most interesting thing to me right now is whether this will, in fact, go forward. Because I guess it really depends on what message Disney is going to take from the fact that Solo's failed hmm. the way that it has. Because, I don't know, I, so, like we obviously touched upon some of the reasons why Solo didn't perform very well. But I do think that part of it is the fact that people just aren't very interested in these stories that are constantly looking back. Because with a story about a young Han Solo... Everyone knows how that story is ultimately going to end. Yeah, it's hard to find the tension, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We know that Han is going to end up joining the Rebellion. We even know how Han dies, you know? So it's not like there's any suspense in that regard. And yeah, like there's also that risk of of the film answering questions that people probably didn't even have about the character. Things that people probably liked being ambiguous. And they probably didn't want that demystified like in a movie that spelled everything out because as I've mentioned that's one of my criticisms solo so I feel there was a bit too much of that regardless of the film's other merits and yeah like I just think that there's lots of potential for a Boba Fett movie to fall into a similar trap because I think a big part of the appeal of Boba Fett is precisely that he's so faceless and mysterious and that you know so very little about him as a character Mm. So, I'll yeah. be interested to see what gets formally announced in the wake of Solo because this isn't a formal announcement, it's a rumour and there have been rumours about Obi-Wan as well so yeah, it'll be like I know there have been endless like reaction videos and like YouTube critics speculating on what the performance of Solo at the box office is going to do in terms of what they decide to announce and what they decide to pursue yeah um, but We'll just wait and see. Yeah. I think for me, like, I just really hope that the forward-looking movies aren't jeopardised. Like, I am so excited for Ryan's trilogy, and I'm also really intrigued to see what Benioff and Weiss do um, with their movies, because I really do sense they are going to be telling something very new and very separate, and I really want that, and I think Star Wars at the moment needs that, because apart from the sequel trilogy, which obviously does have forward momentum, like, everything else has been very much founded in nostalgia yeah i think there are some fans out there hoping that ryan's trilogy is going to be cancelled because of the last jedi (laughs) oh i've seen that it's pretty high profile ones as well and it's like could you not like actively root for that kind of thing it's just it's really depressing to be honest (laughs) but it is what it is and people can wish for whatever they want but it's just the lack of foresight that people have because even if you didn't like The Last Jedi, I'd like to think that people could at least accept that Ryan is clearly a skilled director with lots of interests and ideas, genuine ambition, and that all those qualities are exactly what Star Wars needs. And if he is working in a whole new part of the galaxy with a whole new cast of characters, I think that he will, just by the very nature of his project, 
be avoiding the issues that apparently affected The Last Jedi for some people. Because I think what hurt people most of Last Jedi was how he treated, like, A, the continuing threads from The Force Awakens, and B, the legacy characters, so Luke Skywalker and Leia. Mm. Like, people were very, like, affronted by what he did in that regard. But those are non-issues if he's doing his completely his own thing. So you'd think that people would understand that and be more receptive, but it's the internet, so of course they're not. Yeah, I think people just, if they're super angry about that movie, they can't help but associate it with what he ever does going forward. Yeah. Ryan's a saint. <laughs> like, to be honest, to I... Up with a lot on yeah. social media. I honestly wouldn't blame... Like Ryan Johnson, if he did think, look, it's really not worth it for my right? sanity and my life. I mean, like, I just want to move George on. George Lucas away. Yeah, I think that'd be really tragic and really sad because I think we'd be missing out on genuinely great movies that really do take the franchise in exciting directions. But it is what it is. I'm just saying that if Ryan does decide to step back from it, I would not for a single moment blame him. Yeah, I'd understand, and I, I think he said before that he has a few of his own original ideas, like non-Star Wars stuff, kind of going yeah. around in his head as well. So maybe he would decide to do something like that. Yeah, and I would absolutely follow him like with whatever he did next, regardless of whether it was Star Wars or not. Oh, absolutely. I was a fan of his movies before The Last Jedi came out anyway. So Yeah, same. Looper. Okay. Right. And then the last thing we want to talk about is that there is a new book that has been announced and that is called Women of the Galaxy. And I'll just read out a bit of the press release from StarWars.com. The women of the Stars universe are a diverse galaxy of heroes and villains, renegades and rogues, caretakers, and sometimes unscrupulous scum. <laughs> now, StarWars.com is thrilled to exclusively announce a new book from Chronicle Books that celebrates this eclectic mix of female characters from the films, cartoons, novels, comics, and video games. Star Wars Women of the Galaxy by Star Wars fan and journalist Amy Ratcliffe arrived in October 2018 in hardcover. Featuring Leia Organa, Rey, Ahsoka Tano, Jin Erso, Rose Tico, Maz Kanata, and many more, including characters from Solo A Star Wars Story and Star Wars Resistance, the book gathers 75 profiles with text by Ratcliffe and all new, incredible artwork from 18 talented female and non-binary artists. There is then a list of all their names, but just in the interest of brevity, I will skip that. Let me have a quote. Chronicle Books has put together an all-star lineup of amazingly talented and diverse artists to bring some of the most important, iconic, and at times lesser-known characters from the entire Star Wars saga to life as we've never seen them before says Michael Siglane, creative director of Lucasfilm Publishing. Everyone involved, from Chronicle to Lucasfilm, is extremely proud of this title and of its extremely talented creative team. Amy Ratcliffe's insightful commentary, combined with beautiful, halting, truly inspiring art, makes Women of the Galaxy a must-have for fans of the saga and for art collectors everywhere. So, Kirsty, are you excited for this? I am. I will be definitely pre-ordering this book. It looks Same. very cool. And I love Jeff yeah. Bartel's cover art as well. Yes, it's so beautiful and so striking. And yeah, I'm really excited for this project. I'm especially intrigued by the possibility of seeing like illustrations of book characters who we haven't had visuals on before. Because seeing how they're realised, I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, I saw... It's not here in this part of the press release that you've put, but um, I swear I saw V. Maradi mentioned somewhere. The um, okay, cool. protagonist from the Phasma novel. 
And, oh, nice. Um, I'd love that. Yeah. I know when that book got released, we got some art from someone. Like There was a uh, an attached poster with the and cardinal like, on the both sides. Oh, um, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would really love to see another version of her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everyone has the characters in their heads, but it's cool to see an artist's interpretation. Yeah. And I also just realised that there's going to be um, Star Wars Resistance stuff in there as well. Yeah. Which is cool. Very exciting. Yeah. Like, can you remember what time Resistance starts airing? Is that on October as well? I think they just said fall. So I, okay. I, that probably is October. Right. Yeah. So I guess this will come out about the same time as Resistance. So it'll be a nice little tie-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this is really cool. I'm very excited for it. And continues to demonstrate to me that Lucasfilm is doing a great job with representation and diversity in the publishing department because there's a really like nice like equal split there um like it's just the movies where they need to catch up <laughs> yeah and I like that we have this combined with forces of destiny as well I really like that they have these things that celebrate the female characters yes absolutely like it's really nice and I think in the current climate of the stars fandom it's very necessary as well mm-hmm. oh boy wait sorry if that was a bit of a downer guys on some level there's just there's a lot going on and it's kind of hard like there's it's on on one level you're tempted to just kind of drown out the noise um Mm. because it is always there to a degree it's just like this thing that's bubbling under the surface all the time Um, but then other times you know like when force of destiny came out and it just got this ridiculous response from a vocal minority that that want to ruin it for everyone. It's like you do you do want to address it and just say that this isn't okay. Yeah. Um, and exactly. Yeah. I felt like I needed a grandstanding moment just to say my piece, basically. So it was cathartic. Yeah. But it's great to see that we're still gonna get things like this, that Lucasfilm are just gonna kind of cow to that crowd. So Yeah. Definitely. Because that would be the absolute worst thing they could do, I think. Like, some people act like they need to completely step back on anything that even, like, sniffs of, like, a drive towards, like, equality or better representation. But I think that would be very cowardly. So I'm glad that they're still pursuing things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think that probably brings us to the end. Um, we really hope you have enjoyed the show. Um, do check out the show notes for this week because I'll include all of the links that Christy referred to in her section. And that will be a very good reading list for anyone who's interested in learning more about the music. Um, yep, and in the meantime, you can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Stars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Basila Bay on Tumblr, Kirsty of Jakku on Twitter, and with Scavengers Horde on Twitter as well. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!